really the whole entire month of learning in Mayan Yisrael this month um, started last week is sponsored by uh, Mr. Michael Siegel this is in honor or for the schus of Rafua Shalema for his wife Emma she should have a complete and total Rafua complete, complete, complete recovery her name is Etel Chaya Basmusya May we see big, big miracles and a very great Rafua Shalema. The Shear this week was sponsored by Yitzchak Smith, and this is Lezecha Nishmas, David Yona HaKoyen, Olav HaShalem, Ben Harav Menachem Mendel HaKoyen, Olav HaShalem. May he have a very, very, very great Elias Neshama, and uh, to the greatest of heights, may he channel down lots of brachas, to you and to his whole family, and we should only only know only of simcha and uh, happy happy things. Another dedication this week was by um, this was on the shear and on the CD. This is by Marty Weiss and his brother Reb Moshe Weiss, and this is in honor of the yard site of their dear father, Mr. Beryl Weiss, Olav Shalom the great pillar of tzedakah and chesed of the Los Angeles community. Um, he was the great, great pillar supporting Mayan Yisrael at its beginnings for the first few years, um, and we owe him everything, the residual growth of Mayan and everything that's coming after is all to the schus of his neshama, so I'm very happy to do uh, this dedication in his honor. Rabbi Yisachar Doiv ben Rabbi Yaina Olav HaShalem, and his yard site is on the 27th of Iyar, coming up later this week. May his neshama have a very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may he channel lots of brachas to his family in everything, in the material and in the spiritual, and shower lots of blessings for the community that he loved so much. And that is our community and the love that he had for all the Jewish people. Thank you so much for that dedication. There is another dedication on the CD this week. It was sponsored by... 
my dear friend Baruch Marshak, and this is for the schus of a mitzvah. May this be a big schus for you, Baruch, that you should be blessed with everything and all that you need in the material and in the spiritual, and it should be bechukaisai teilechu, a real aliyah and a real going um, for you and in everything. And finally, there was another dedication on the CD this week. This was by the Smolyansky family. And this is Lezecha Nishmas, uh, their grandmother, Golda Bas Yosef, Allah Shalem. May your Nishama have a very, very, very great Ali. I think the yard is also the 27th. I forgot to check or write that down. But I think it's also the 27th of year. Whichever day it is, it's one day this week, maybe the 25th of year. May the Nishama have a very, may her Nishama have a very great Aliyah. May she channel lots of brachas to you and to the whole family. And with bracha and mazel and only, only good and simchas and only good things. And they're also doing it in honor of the birthday of Moshe Smolyansky, who was so involved in helping me by the Achnasa Sefer Torah. So I want to thank him for that. And I want to give him a, a big happy, happy birthday. And I want to wish him a shnaz bracha natzlacha of much growth and much atzlacha in his learning and everything. And may um, you only see nachas from him in many, 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 many good, good, happy ways. Okay, that's the dedications of today. Um, I also want to thank the entire community for coming out in such great support and for participating in this most magnificent uh, dedication of the Torah at Mayan Yisrael, there's no doubt that the Baal Shem Tov and all the tzaddikim enjoyed so much everybody's participation in their honor, whether you came and participated, whether you um, joined along in buying letters in the Sefer Torah and honoring the Baal Shem Tov that way. I'm sure the Baal Shem Tov will reciprocate to this entire community. I can already feel tremendous blessings flowing. May it bring healing and light, and all the blessings, joy and peace, and and shaduchim and 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 everything, and children for those who need children, and shalom bayis, and only good things to the community, to everybody. And we should see very, 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 very great things from this magnificent, beautiful, special, special sefer Torah. I also would like to say that, uh, being that we're not going to read the sefer Torah uh, yet, we didn't read it this Shabbos. Um, we're going to keep it for the special occasion of the first day of Shavuos, the Baal Shem Tov's yard site. That was the day we initially set for reading the first time in the special Sefer Torah. So I'd like to do two things. First of all, I'd like to invite everyone to come Shavuos in the morning at, um, I think it's going to be at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. This is the first day Shavuos, Sunday, uh, to davening here at Mayon. And you can be listening to the Aseris Adibris being read from the special Sefer Torah that has all the energy of all the tzaddikim that we mentioned in the past and the great, powerful light of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, so that would be, um, I want to invite everyone, We're gonna, it's going to be followed by a beautiful um, Kiddush. Um, um, it's a minute to eat milachik on Shavuot, so a nice, beautiful milachik Kiddush here for everyone to participate and celebrate. Um, another thing I want to say is that if anybody didn't get a chance yet to buy any letters or a pasuk or a parsha, whatever you want to buy, the Sefer Torah is still open to be participated in until we read in it the first time. We will be accepting for the Sefer Torah 
the schus is still available till we open up the Sefer Torah and read in it for the first time. Anybody that wants to participate can still acquire letters, words, and whatever it is that you would like to have. Now uh, we are about to begin the Parsha class. This week's Parsha is Parshas Bichu Kosai. And the Parsha begins with the words, Im Bichu Kosai Telechu. If in my statues you will go. And God is in, God is re- making a, a deal with the Jewish people. And He says, if you're going to follow my mitzvahs, you're going to study Torah diligently, and I'm going to bless you with a whole abundance of blessings. And then He goes on to explain, the Torah goes on to say that if God forbid we do not follow in the statutes and we don't keep His mitzvahs, then there's going to be other consequences. So we have the blessings and the opposite of the blessings in Parshas Bechukosai. Um, the opening words of the parasha, Im bichukosai teilechu, if in my statues you will go, the Gemara says an interesting statement, in Masechtis in Tractate Avodazara. This is in Tractate Avodazara, Davhei, on page 5, on the first side of the page, on the bottom. Tanur Rabbanan, the Rabbanan learned, Im bichukosai teilechu, if in my statues you will go. So if you read it simply, you can come to the conclusion that it's, it's very optional, that God says, you know, God doesn't care. He really doesn't, doesn't make a difference to Him whether we listen or we don't listen. He's giving us an opportunity to get a lot of blessings if we choose to listen. But to Hashem, it really doesn't make a difference what we choose because God is perfect and He can't be affected by anything we do anyways. And therefore, it's just our choice. You guys want to listen, you'll have it really good. You don't want to listen, you'll be messed up really bad. But I really don't care. So the pasuk, so the Gemara says, not that way. The Gemara says when it says im if in my statutes you will go, the Gemara says that God is pleading with us, or to make it a little more dramatic, God is down on his knees begging of us, please, please, please keep my mitzvahs. Ein im tachanunim. See, tachanunim doesn't just mean it doesn't say. Ein im eloloshin shaila. Shaila means a request. It doesn't say God is requesting. When it says im, it means tachanunim. Tachanunim means desperately begging. That means God is desperately begging us to keep his mitzvahs. Chenu oimar, so it says in the Pasuk, Lu ami, if only my people, shoimei ali, if only you will listen to me. So you see again that there's a, there's a, re, there's a begging, there's a request Please, please, please listen to my commandments. Okay, and let me bring some other, some other verses to support this idea, which is, sounds very strange. I mean, God was so perfect and so great and so, so not lacking anything. He doesn't need our mitzvahs. He doesn't need our mitzvahs, right? Everybody would say God doesn't need our mitzvahs. So what's this idea that Hashem is pleading, pleading and asking us, Please, in not just like it's optional, do whatever you want, but I'm really, really, really need you to do my mitzvahs. Please, please. So, what does this mean? Now, we also know it says that to God it really doesn't make a difference, in essence, the observance of the mitzvah and the non observance of the mitzvah. So, if that's the case, like the Pasuk says clearly, if you're righteous, what are you giving God? What is God benefiting? With all your tzedakah, with all your righteousness, what is God giving, get benefiting? On your many sins, what kind of effect are you having on Him? So it implies that Hashem is, doesn't, is not affected. And so we really need to understand, what does the Gemara mean by this, that Hashem is 
very much asking of us and pleading with us and begging of us to keep his mitzvahs. We will understand this by analyzing the descent of the soul, the purpose of the soul in this world. We mentioned last week in the class that our neshama comes down into this world and the descent of the soul into this world is a very, 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 very great descent. It's a very, 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 very great fall and compromise on the neshama. When the soul is in heaven, the soul is basking in Hashem's light. The soul is in the highest places. It resides under the throne of glory. It's in the deepest, highest, most magnificent places. It's radiating, it's receiving it's, it's God's radiance. It's enjoying, as the sages say, Nehenen miziv hashchina, that the soul's delight in the, in the ray of the shechina. There is no greater pleasure and there is no greater delight than delighting in God's light. And yet, what does God do? He takes the soul and He puts it down into this world, a world full of trials, full of tribulations, full of obstacles, full of darkness, full of confusion. And we have to kind of like struggle our way through life, trying to maintain our morality, our ethical, uh, our ethics, our, 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 and definitely our, how difficult it is for a person to maintain um, spirituality and the like. So the question is, why did Hashem do this to the Nisham? What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of this pain and misery to the Nisham? Of course, once we're alive, we desperately don't want to die. We want to be alive and live forever. But initially, when the Nishama comes into this world, the sages say, It's against your wishes. It's against your desire of the Nishama. You come alive. So then if that's the case, why does God do that? There must be a very good reason. Now, there's two things. There is what it benefits God. What it benefits God is that we are able to learn His Torah and do His mitzvahs in this world. By, by doing that, we fulfill God's dream and His desire. Hashem wants to have a home in the lowest place. So we are the builders, we are the constructors, we are the, the working crew who work this world, the souls that come down from heaven, and to build this world into a castle, into a palace, into a beautiful garden for Hashem. That's Hashem gains. But God also has to make the neshama gain. What is, this, what is the gain of the soul? Now the gain of the soul is, the idea is Yerida Tzairach Aliyah. The descent is for the sake of an ascent. The soul comes down in this world, it's descending, it's going down, and the purpose of it is, when it's going down, 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 it will then achieve an ascent. It will rebound, and it will go back. And when the neshama will go back on high, the neshama reaches levels far, far, far superior to where the neshama was before it descended. It reaches incomparably higher levels to places unimaginable and utterly outside of the reach of the neshama, notwithstanding how great the soul is when the soul is in heaven. Yisrael alu b'machshava. The souls of the Jewish people arose in God's thoughts in the highest and in the deepest places as it's explained in Tanya and another Svarim, that the neshama comes from God's innermost brain. The neshama comes from the first of the ten sefirot, the ten emanations, the highest of them, the sphere, which is called sphira sachachma, the, eman, the, the, the attribute of wisdom, which is the, which is the vessel where the orange self, where the infinite light dwells. So notwithstanding how high and how deep the neshama is, Yet, as a result and as a consequence of the soul coming down in the body into this world, when it will go up, she will rise far higher than where she was before. 
And that is the meaning of the first few words in this week's parasha. That through my statues and through the observance of mitzvahs in this world, you will become telechu. So telechu, telechu means you will go. But it, see, according to the simple meaning of the verse, telechu is not the reward. Telechu is part of the condition. In say telechu, if in my statues you will go, then, right? So that's, that's how you're learning. If, and you will do my mitzvahs, and you will do so and so. But the deeper meaning is, in Bechukaisai, if through Bechukaisai, through my statues, which we'll soon see, Telechu, they will make you into a mover. You will move, you will become a mobile being, and you will become what's called a Mahalech, a one who, 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 who travels. Because before the soul comes into this world, the soul is stuck in a certain level. It's called an Omeid, it's called a stationary being, it stands in one place. Yes, it's enjoying Hashem's light, and within a certain context, it is growing ever, ever more and more and more in its divine connection, but it's all limited, it's all within a certain measure, and that's why it's called a stationary, it's rooted, it's stuck in one place. But through coming into this world, the neshama becomes a mahalich, it starts to move, like we discussed at great length last year in our Lagba Omer class, which we had a whole class where we discussed this idea, that high alma, that this world, the neshama becomes an ozel, it becomes someone that can move, because of this world, is the only place where the soul can attain this ability to move and move and move and move and rise infinitely high. To understand a little bit what that is, how does that work? And, and, and that, but now we just get, how does that work? But first already, this gives us a little bit of understanding why God is pleading with us. In Because God has to feel very, 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 very bad for putting all of us through such suffering and such pain. I mean, He's taking His neshamas, His souls, they're so dear to Him. And He's basically taking his, every soul the Baal Shem Tov teaches us is like so precious to God. It's like a one and only child that was born to parents when, when, in their older age. Imagine parents, they never had children. That one and only child. They couldn't hurt their father. They can't even think of hurting this child. Impossible. The child gets the tiniest little boo-boo and the mother is panicking like the worst thing happened. Right? And here God, with His infinite mercy and in, in, infinite uh, 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 kindness, takes the soul and puts it through what all of us go through in life. We go through a lot of horror and a lot of pain and what we don't even realize is the silent pain that our soul feels. We're only, we only feel our physical pains and maybe a little spiritual ache. But we don't really feel the real deep, deep agonizing pain that our soul feels by coming into this world. So God feels terrible for doing this to our neshama. It's only justified if we're going to come to the ultimate gain that we're going to get from it. And what's the gain that we're going to get? Telechu. We're going to go to places way, way, way above that we would never have been able to reach spiritual heights that we had never been able to reach, not even close, had we not come through this darkness. But if, God forbid, the soul does not accomplish, does not, it comes down into this world and wastes its time, chas and does not take um, and does not accomplish this telechu, that it becomes a goer, a mover, as a result of its descent into the world, then the descent of the soul into this world then is in vain, and then it's only, it was only suffering. So then Hashem has to kind of live with the idea that He made a soul suffer for no reason. So that's why we understand why God is pleading, and He's saying, I beg of you, I beg of you, so that you become a telechu, you become a goer. To understand this a little better, this whole idea. 
Let's understand a little bit. See, one of the main mitzvahs of, in our Yiddishkeit is to love God. That's one of the six constant mitzvahs. There are six mitzvahs that are a constant, and one of them is fearing Hashem, and one of them is loving God. That's a, it's a pri- it, obviously, this is a primary mitzvah, because loving, love of Hashem is the energy, is the engine that drives the performance of all the other mitzvahs. It's the soul of all mitzvahs. Because what is supposed to be the impetus and the drive in the doing of the mitzvah? Two feelings. One is that I have to obey my God because God is my master and king and I cannot disobey Him. I have awe and fear of Him. But also, we must be driven by love. I'm putting on tefillin because I love God and by putting on tefillin, I'm getting closer to God. I'm keeping Shabbos because I love Hashem and in the day of Shabbos, I have this very, very great intimacy and closeness to Hashem. I study Torah not just to get information, not just to get knowledge, but when I'm learning Torah, I'm locked in a kiss with God. God's words, my mouth, and God's, and God's mouth are kissing. We're touching. Because my, when I'm speaking the words, Hashem is speaking these very same words, and our lips are locked together, and our breath becomes one. And that's why I am learning Torah. I know most people don't think about this all the time, but this is why we have these classes constantly, to refresh these ideas, and that every mitzvah is an embrace, and a hug by God, and the like. And that is really the drive that is supposed to drive a person. It's not for the sake of physical blessings. It's not for the sake of even spiritual blessings and spiritual light. It's for the sake of attachment to Hashem. It's for the sake of the dveikus and the connection that we get to God when we do the mitzvahs. And all of that is only important to a person if we love God. So love is of primary importance. Now, the Hasidic masters tell us a phenomenal idea. That the word va'ahavta, where are we commanded to love God? We say it every day in the Shema. Two times, actually we say this at least four times a day. Because we say in the Karbanos before Shachris, we say Shema Vahavta. Then we say again Shema in Shachris. Those who put on a double pair of tefillin, Rabbeinu Tam, say it again another time when they put on the Rabbeinu Tam tefillin. And then when we daven tefillas arvis, mairev, for men that will daven mairev as well, um, there's another time, and then before we go to sleep again. So five times Vahavta maybe corresponding to the five levels of soul. But there are five times that we repeat this Pasuk every day, so it would really make sense to delve in a little bit into this. So what does Vahafta mean? So Vahafta could be translated in two ways. One element for the word Vahafta means you should love. It's a commandment. Vahafta, you should love God, your God. It's a commandment. We're being commanded to love. There's another meaning to the word Vahafta, not you should love, but that you will, you will love. Vahafta can be read as a promise. Vahafta, you will love as Hashem Elokecha, God your God. In Hebrew, it, it, in, 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 in Lashon HaKodesh, the grammar of the word Vahafta can be read as a command and as a telling of what will be. You will love God your God. Now, so what does that mean? What is the difference between why do we have a command to love and what is the meaning of you will love, not you're commanded to love, but that you will love? And the idea is as follows. You see, um, the question over here really is how can you command someone to love anything? Love is either is a feeling. Either you have it or you don't have it. You can't tell someone to love something. You can tell someone to do something. You can command an act you can command a conversation. You can even command someone to think something. 
you can tell them, I want you to think so and so. And, and you can, maybe if you have control over them, you can make them think that. But you can't command a feeling. If you have a feeling, I have a feeling. If I love, I love. If I don't love, I don't. You can tell me to eat fish. You can't make me love fish. If I don't like it, I don't like it. So what does it mean you're commanded to love God? And the answer to that is this interesting idea. question is, who are we talking about? The soul or the body? The soul doesn't need a commandment to love God. The soul loves God innately. That's the nature of every neshama. Every neshama has a powerful love to God. That's the neshama. It's an inborn natural love. It's an organic love. The soul craves and yearns to be close to God. Whether we feel it or not, that's because we not always in touch with our soul. Our soul can be buried, buried, buried beneath other layers of consciousness. But the soul, the Pasuk says, Ne'er Hashem nishmas adam. The soul of man is like a flame. Just like a flame is constant, as the, as the Balatanya explains in Tanya, in chapter 18 and 19, in chapter 19, an amazing explanation on the meaning of this Pasuk. Just like a flame is restless and constantly, and is constantly striving upward. The flame is dancing all the time, upward, upward. Why? Because the flame is seeking to reach, to go up, which as he explains over there is because the element of fire, the source of the element of fire is outside of the atmosphere. And the flame, not with any rational, logical explanation, it's yearning to its source. So to every neshama, naturally, intrinsically, yearns to God, loves to God because it's a piece of God from above and everything wants to go back to its source. So that's the nature. So the neshama doesn't need to be commanded to love. The body, on the other hand, the body is a dead thing. So what do you mean? Get, tell the body to love God. What's the body? How does the body love? The body without the soul is lifeless. So exactly who are we commanding? And the answer is, when we dissect the human being carefully, we see that even though we generally think of it just as soul and body, but when we look a little deeper... The Kabbalists and the mystics tell us that there's more than one soul in a human being, especially in a Jew. There's more than one soul. There's two souls. And to be more precise, there aren't two souls, there's really three souls. Three distinct souls that make up our who we are. One is, as mentioned earlier, this very, very spiritual godly soul. It's a piece of Hashem from above. And to it, Hashem is its only reality. She comes from the divine, she comes from the infinite light, She's part of it. She strives all the time to connect, not based on any reason, not based on any logic. It just is. She's in a constant state of yearning to reconnect to its source. That's our soul. It's godly, it's divine. Then on the other hand, we all have a biological soul. A soul that's also spirit, not matter. Because matter is dead. That's the body. But to enliven the body... There is a motor, there is an engine. And that engine is a spiritual soul, but it's the vivifying soul. It animates the body, and it's a spirit, and it has emotions, it has feelings, it has drives, but its drives are absolutely, um, absolutely self centered and directed towards earthiness and physicality. It doesn't have any appreciation or any interest whatsoever and anything spiritual, and anything sublime. It is excited about the here and the now, and the pleasures of physicality. It wants to, it wants to enjoy itself. How? Through good food, through 
um, other physical experiences. That's all it craves. It wants attention. It's an exceedingly needy being. It wants attention all the time. It wants recognition. It sees itself as the only reality, and it's caught up completely. It's obsessed. It's a narcissistic, self-absorbed animal. That's what it is. And all it can think of is more of more sensation of the physical in any way, shape, or form. That's all it wants. And then there is this transcendental soul. That's, so one of them is very part of earth, and the other one is part of heaven. Now the one that's part of earth, just like the soul, is not just part of heaven, but it's from the realms of holiness. Not only from the realms of holiness, but it is godly, it's peace of Hashem. On the other hand, the other soul is an entity of darkness. It comes from, those, from that reality that opposes and denies God. Because for a creature to only know itself and only care about itself and everything else is utterly unimportant, that means that to it, God doesn't exist. So it is weird, it is living, it stems from those dark forces that God created that block and conceal and are complete. It's called klippa. Klippa means the shells, the real forces of darkness that conceal and block God. And believe it or not, we all have a part of our consciousness, a part of who we are is from that real dark entity that denies Hashem, God is outside of its reality. That's dark, that's real klipa. Both these souls are subjective beings. The godly soul is subjective because its love to God is not objective. It's not based on because it discovered objectively the beauty, the truth of the divine. It loves God not because of a reason. It loves God because it can't help but loving God. It doesn't know of any other reality. To it, Hashem is the reality. It experiences, it knows the infinite source from where all of existence emanates and it just wants to be attached and not separated from that being, from the force that, that, that beings all of being into existence. That's what it wants. Not based on a reason, not based on a calculation, not based on any kind of uh, uh, understanding. It just knows it. It knows it with every fiber of its being and that's why it wants to go back. That's the soul. So it's subjective. The, 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 the animal soul, the net, what we call the nefesh of Bahamas, this dark entity, is also subjective. It's not interested in what's true and what's real. It doesn't want information. It just wants something to tickle it. It's, 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 it's sensation, uh, uh, whatever, uh, uh, pleasure button, so to speak, and to excite it all the time. That's what it wants. And the pleasure comes from any kind of physical pleasure. That's all that it knows. It's not an, it's not an idealistic being, just self-absorbed, caught up with only itself and only its own existence. These are the two realities, two souls. How do they communicate? How can one even communicate with the other? Maybe they don't communicate. The purpose of life is not that we live in these two realities. One time we suddenly discover our aspirations towards heaven and we're longing, we stand on top of a mountaintop and we cry out, My soul yearns to you, to you God. We all have these moments of elevation where we close our eyes and we're singing a real deep niggin and our soul is mamish craving and wants closeness to God. And then we all know the feeling of being hungry and just wanting to 
delve into, be enmeshed in a pie of pizza. Right? And we all experience both. But it's not supposed to be that these two realities remain distinct and non-communicating. What's the purpose? Is the two should come together. How do they come together? So there has to be a third soul. The third soul is called the nefesh asichlis. Nefesh asichlis means an intellectual soul. It's a being, it's not holy. It's not from the world of holiness. It's also not from the worlds of darkness, where, where, where one cannot sense anything but itself. It's from this middle space, which is a place, it's a refined energy, which is not so, it's not dense, so it's not caught up with itself. It doesn't know God intrinsically, but it's curious. It's curious. It wants the truth, and it's willing to learn. It enjoys information. It just wants to hear what's real, what's out there. These three souls come together. God packages them, mixes, brings the holy neshama, puts it into the intellectual soul, coming from this, what we might call, pariv world, and then encloses it in this thick, dense wrapper, which is the animal soul. And then the three souls together come into a physical, earthy body. And what's the purpose of life? That through this intellectual soul, gaining understanding and insight about what's real and what's true, we should be able to communicate to this animal being and beastly being that there is something outside of its reality. There's something other than just its immediate instant gratification. And there's a greater truth. And there's a world, a beautiful reality. There is a greater truth, and that world is full of light and full of pleasure. And if it can only leave go of that little bone that it's chewing on and chewing on, let go of it and turn around and see the splendor that's all around it, and the beauty and the, and, and the, and, and the pleasure that's available, true, deep, real, eternal pleasure that it can partake in, if it would only leave go of its instant grasp, of whatever it's holding on to. So there has to be that, that's the communication. And the job, therefore, is to the godly soul. The godly soul that doesn't need a reason to love God, that loves Hashem intrinsically, naturally, because, just because, needs to slow down its fanatical love where it loves Hashem with madness. It has to slow down a minute. And it has to figure out ways to explain the rational soul that God is real, true, and deserving to get, of, to get close, and worthy of being close to Him. That meaning that the intellect should agree to what the soul knows inherently, not through, it, not through their mind. And that's the process that we have during our lives in this world. We should educate. The godly soul needs to take the time to study. And for that, we were given the Torah. Particularly, we were given the esoteric internal part of the Torah that we're given and taught that we can meditate on the godly, on something higher, Hasidus and the like, and philosophy too, and Kabbalah and the like, so that we can open our eyes and understand and appreciate something more than just the material physical world. When the godly soul can communicate that to the curious soul, that's our human curiosity that wants to know about what's out there, 
then through understanding the beauty of God and the truth of God and how all of existence is, 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 is emanating from Hashem and it has no independent existence whatsoever and that all of existence is really nil and void in compared to the divine energy that's flowing to it and when one appreciates that, slowly but surely the animal, animal dark soul begins to turn around and say, what? Is there something else Something other than just physical pleasure. Is there something truer than what than, than myself? That slow, slowly, that work is a slow transformation. Day by day, day by day. The animal consciousness, the darkest part of our being, you want to puncture holes in it every day, more and more holes, to allow light to come in. And suddenly it gets brighter and brighter and brighter to it reaches a point where the animal soul is converted and with all of its urgency and it's all of its desire that it was once craving and attached to the material physical pleasures of life it begins to search, to yearn, to cleave to connect to Hashem to holiness and to godliness when we've accomplished that we've, we've realized the ultimate purpose of creation that darkness should be transformed to light which darkness? The darkness of our own egos. The darkness of our own self-centeredness. That darkness needs to, be, needs to be illuminated with light. Day by day meditation. And that's the mitzvah. We say, what's the mitzvah to love God? That's the mitzvah. You should love God. Your God means you should educate yourself. How do you educate? We asked earlier, how can you command love? The commandment is not love. The commandment is to think, to learn, to study. Don't just go through life like an animal, just seeing just every day whatever is there and just responding to all stimuli that hits you. Be, be proactive, direct. Not just a recipient, direct. Think, open up your eyes, meditate, learn. By studying and learning, and primarily by davening. That's the point of davening. Where we meditate on higher truths, thereby turning around the nature of our animal soul to love God. You will love God. With all your soul. It all begins, however, with a cognition of the mind. In other words, to try to just love God with the love of your soul and not translate it into your intellect and into your mind, it's not going to be, even though it's not, I'm not saying it's not possible for a person to have very exalted spiritual moments by just activating their neshama and just experiencing their soul. You could. And you don't need an intellect. You don't need to learn, use your chachma binadas. You don't need to learn your intellectual faculty. You could experience it. The problem is it's always going to remain the love of your soul. It's never going to become the love of your body. It's never going to become the earthy side of you is never going to join into it. You're always going to be a split human being. You might have extreme moments of intense spirituality, but there's always going to be another dark side of you. The only way, the only way that they can that you can change and be a transformed and a wholesome human being, that you will bring your klipa soul onto the same page as your godly soul is through the communication of your intellect of the mind. And that's the idea of what we're... That's why we begin 
the focus every day. That's what Kriya Shema is all about. Shema means understand. Shema doesn't only mean hear. Hear, O Israel. Okay, I said it. Shema, I heard. It doesn't mean hear. Hear means grasp, understand. What am I to understand? Yisrael, Jew inside of me. I have an Ashama, I have a soul, I have a higher, deeper self. I wake up in the morning and I see a world. I see a world that's lying. I see a world that's so deceptive. I see a reality that's crying out that it's independent. And let's just eat and drink and have a good time and let's waste our life on nothingness. That's what it is. Enjoy, have a be merry, go whatever. What's for lunch and what's for dinner and what's... Just live like an animal. That's the world saying. That's what the world says. That's what every advertisement screams to you from the billboards. Right? That's what we see. That's the stimulus we're hearing. So you have to counter that. Shema Yisrael, hear Jew. Listen, listen up. What should you listen up? Hashem Echad. What does Hashem Echad mean? Let's take, let's take a word at the word Echad. The word Echad is a pivotal word. The word Echad is made up of an Aleph, a Ches, and a Dalit. So the, it's in Shulchan Arach. It is in, in, in the code of Jewish law, it's not just a mystical idea. It explains. Aleph is God. Because Aleph in Hebrew is the number one, the first. And Aleph also means, the word Aluf means chief. God is the chief reality. Okay? He is the Aleph. He, every, we agree that the world didn't just happen on its own. Someone created it. So that creator is the force behind creation. And then that Aleph is the life force of Ches and Dalit. What's Ches? Ches is up and down. Because Ches is number eight. In Hebrew, every letter has a number. Number eight. And the sages say eight stands for the seven heavens and earth. So seven heavens and earth is up and down. Dalit means the four directions. Because Dalit is four. And what you're really saying is that the Aleph, God, you imbue all of the creation with life and you sustain all of creation. You bring it into existence. And if you were to pull out of the creation, all of existence, poof, would go back into nothingness as if it never existed. And that's true about the blue sky that I see. And the puffy clouds that I see. It's not a sky. It's Hashem who is now presenting Himself, His energy, as blue sky with clouds. With a mighty sun. What's that sun? It's nothing more than the energy of God now emanating through this bright being called the sun, translating itself into a sun. And that is true about the trees. That's true about the leaves. It's true about the rivers and the oceans and every human being and every cow and every animal and every bird and the earth that I stand on that I'm so used to seeing as something so real and absolute. But it's not true. It's just that energy of God that's making the earth, making the skies, making the stars, making everything I see, every breath of ear, everything. And then when I realize that, I realize that and I say, oh my I'm so attached, I'm so excited, I'm so, I'm so uh, caught up with all the, uh, here I want a piece of chicken, and here I want a hamburger, and here I want a this, and here I want money, and here I want... And when I realize that all this is all fluff, there's nothing real to it. Every second it's only existing because there's a soul behind it. And that's the Abishter, that's God, who's emanating all from all existence. Then I realize the, the nothingness of it, and then what do I really want? Then I want you, God. Because you're the reality of everything. Everything I so love and everything I'm so excited about is nothing but you. So I want you. I don't want all of this. That's the, that's, the, that's the meditation. And I promise you, you do this daily for a couple of minutes. Close your eyes and just think for a couple of minutes. Slowly but surely you'll be more aware of this during the day. 
When you look at things, at people, at objects, at things, you won't see them. You'll feel and you sense the pulsating life of God that's in everything. And it's creating and making and, and, and bringing everything into existence. And you'll yearn and you want Him. And slowly but surely, it's a very, very slow and painstaking work because you got to do it daily, 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 again and again. Keep on reminding yourself and keep on meditating every time deeper and deeper and deeper. And slowly you start unattaching yourself to these things that were felt to be so big and important. They become less important. And what becomes more important is how can I connect more to this flow of energy that is flowing into the universe from God? How can I connect to that, the source of all this pleasure, the source of all this light? And in a mitzvah, I have direct communication to the infinite light, not just the tiny little trickle, a trickle, trickle, trickle that trickles into the universe. That's the meditation. That's the main point of davening, that we should come and say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Achad. And as a consequence of that, what's going to be the consequence? The consequence of this deep meditation is going to be, Vahafta, you will love God. Then, then I can command you to love because you're thinking, then what you will love. As Hashem Elokecha, God your God, how will you love? Bechol with all your heart, or Bechol Nafshecha, and with all your soul. What does it mean you will love God with all your heart and you love God with all your soul? Your heart is referring to that biological soul the soul that resides in the blood, the very earthy, dark b- creature that is, has all these negative impulses and traits and is, as we said earlier, egotistical, um, arrogant, self-absorbed, um, uh, uh, lustful, greedy, jealous. That dark creature... That's, the, that's flowing in the blood. That's b'chol your heart. Guess what? V'haftas Hashem alokecha, you will love God slowly. B'chol levavcha. That dark place will become a little brighter. And it will start looking outside of itself. You're going to create windows in your soul, in your animal soul. And it will start seeing beyond itself. And start looking for satisfaction elsewhere. Not just in, the, in this earthy pleasure. And not only that, and for sure, with all your soul, that's that intermediate soul. That's that's the intellectual soul. She too will be enthralled by the divine. And now you'll have all three souls together, joined together in their journey, in their pursuit of a connection to God. And a wholesome life, not a fragmented um, 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 Divided the being, you'll be a complete being. with all your heart, Okay, that's the point. But then the question is, hold it. So if that's what I need to accomplish, I need to come to love God. Well, I loved God already before I was born. My soul in heaven already had this great love for Hashem. So you're sending me down over here that I should meditate and work my way so I can slowly start. Loving God even when I'm in a body. Okay. But I loved Hashem. What did we gain? We didn't really gain anything because all we did was we just got love. We had love before. And now we came to love again. So what's the gain? And the answer is like this. Okay. 
you gain, obviously a simple answer is, you gain that not only is now a higher spirit loving God, but you educated a lower, darker spirit to love God. That's the gain. But the question is, what does the soul gain? I understand, the animal soul has gained, it has been transformed. But what does the soul gain? Does the soul have a gain? And the answer is yes. Because it's only through the education of the animal soul and the changing of that egotistical, egocentric being and turning it around to, and transforming it to have an awareness of God and a love to Hashem, that one reaches the next level of love. And that's called b'chol me'odecha, with all your might. B'chol levavcha, with all your heart. B'chol nafshecha, with all your soul. But now, b'chol me'odecha, with all your might. You know what that means? It means to love God with an infinite longing, with a boundless, boundless, boundless longing and desire. Because here's the idea. Souls, when they're in heaven, even though the souls are very, very high, souls are in an incredible elevated state in heaven, as we said before. They know God intrinsically. They're delighting in the ziva shechina and the ray of the shechina. But there is a problem. What's the problem? Even that, as I said in the beginning of the shear, is limited. The soul is stationary being. He stands in one place. Why? Because how does the neshama know God when the neshama is in its supernal state? Heights before it comes down here. It says in the Zohar, an amazing thing. It says in the Zohar, on the Pasuk, Noida Basharim Baila, that her husband makes himself known to her. Her husband, referring, okay, it's a Pasuk and Talim. Noida Basharim Baila, no, the simple meaning is, Noida Basharim Baila, her husband is very popular. He's known in the gates, in all the city, by the city gates, that's where, you know, the main. Uh, that's the city gate was where the elders sat and the important councilmen sat, the city gates. So her husband is a popular person. When he comes, everybody knows him. That's a simple meaning. In Eshaz Chayah, we say, The Zohar says like this, it's referring to every neshama. Every neshama is, is considered the wife of God. So the Zohar says, her husband, who, whose husband? Is Hashem, is the husband of the soul. Makes himself known, Basha'arim in the gates. What's a gate? A gate is an entranceway. An entranceway is a pathway in which you can enter into a city, a room. Right? So God enters into the soul's consciousness and into the soul's awareness through an entrance. And the Zohar says that entrance is every person is different. Every neshama. Kol chad v'chad, every neshama. Lefum shi'ure delay. According to its measure. That's why it also says that in the, in the world to come, God has, every tzaddik has his own mother. Every tzaddik has his own home. Meaning its spiritual experience of the divine is tailored to every person according to their spiritual capacity. According to the makeup of their neshama. There is a limit, there is a boundary. The souls do not know God as God truly is. They only know a reflection of Hashem as Hashem's reflection is shining to that soul. It is enormous, it is unbelievable and indescribably pleasurable but it's still very limited. As a result of the soul coming down into the body and working its way through earth and educating this animal creature and this beast, the soul gains an amazing thing. It gets to experience God Almighty Himself, not, not a ray, not a tiny shine of God, but God's very, very, very self. It's an interesting thing. It's an amazing medrash. 
the Medrash says in the Imparshas in Sefer Bamidbar, it's it, this 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 Maimar Chazal, the statement of the sages, is quoted in many places, and in Yalkut Shemoni, and in, I think in Mesechtes Kala, Rabasi. But this is from Bamidbar, the end of Parshas Nasai. Okay, so it's a Medrash. It says like this: Kiloi Yerani Haadam Vachai, that a man God says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe says, "Please show me your face." And God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Ki lo yirani No person can ever see me and stay alive. Okay? So, first of all, one place it says that that's referring to people can't see me. And even those that are called vachai, which means even the srafim, chayasefanim, the highest malachim, they, they too can't see God. No one can see God. If you see God, then they would dissolve. They would be destroyed. No one can see Hashem. Fine. But the Zohar adds an amazing, not the Zohar, the Medrash. During their lifetime, we cannot see God. At the time when the soul departs the body, and the soul leaves the body, that's when the neshama gets to gaze at God Almighty Himself. And as it is explained, it's the first time I saw this in a discourse of Rabbi Zalman of Liadi. I saw this today, very powerful words which I've never seen before, or I don't recall have seen it before. That which Moshe Rabbeinu could not see. Moshe says to God, I want to see you. God says to Moshe, you cannot see me, v'chai, and be alive, because in your life you can't see me. So that which Moshe could not see, Moshe, the father of all prophets, the greatest of all prophets, a neshama that does its work properly in this world, when we leave this world, can see that which Moshe didn't see can see God Almighty Himself, Mamish Hashem Himself. Why? What's the difference of before one's, um, um, when before a person leaves the world while we're alive? You'll say because of the limitations of the body. No, but it's not more than that. Even the neshama before it came into the body couldn't see. It's only the neshama b'misasan after it's leaving life on earth, when it's going back, that's when it has a vision and it experiences God Himself. How's that possible? Why? What's the reason? What's the reason behind it? And the reason is behind it is as follows. The secret to knowing and to experiencing God itself lies not in our sublime soul, but in the darkest cellars of our psyche. And this is such a crazy idea. That dafka, the darkness of our animal soul, holds the key to God's essence. And if one can penetrate and permeate and break through the thickness of ego and self-absorption and crack that open, the deepest, deepest secret is revealed. And that's the secret of God's face, of God himself in the darkness. Why is that? That only in the darkness can you get, can, when you... When you break the darkness, and the secret is a mystical concept, a beautiful concept. We've mentioned it in earlier classes. Then when Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world and all the cosmos and all of creation through hiding Himself, not through revealing Himself. He had to dim and hide and hide and hide and hide and hide. And even the ten attributes, which we speak of the enormous spherot, the attributes. Oh, who can grasp? There's no thought that can grasp these attributes. Unbelievable. Yet, yet what? 
even those attributes, came about through powerful, powerful, powerful contractions and contractions and contractions and contractions. As God dims, 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 dims His light to be so tiny and small. Right? But before Hashem did that, He did emanate His light as is. And that was an ancient world called the world of Tayo. The world of Tayo was, was a world where God, God expressed Himself, not hid Himself. Initially, God did express Himself into a world, into a reality. But that world could not take the intensity of God's light. It was just too powerful and too strong. And what it did was, it shattered the vessels. And what's called the cosmic blast, shvira sakelim, the shattering, the primordial collapse of the primordial vessels of that ancient world of Toyo. It was a world that was exposed to God as God is. But it couldn't handle it. So it shattered and it broke. Then after it shattered and it broke, God set up a new system where he put filters and filters and filters and he only reveals himself after a gazillion filters. And it's only a little bit of light. That's the ray that the neshama in heaven enjoys. The ray, the filtered light that has been filtered a gazillion times. That's the light. That's the big pleasure of the soul. But here this amazing thought that the Arizal, Kabbalah, Zohar, and then explained by Hasidus. This amazing idea that when that primordial collapse happened, those, that world, which were those containers, those vessels that, when, that initially were exposed to the light, when they shattered, the debris fell. The debris of those worlds that touched God's essence fell down and it fell through the entire cosmic, through the entire order of world. It fell, it's lower and lower and lower until it became, until it translated into a world, into cr- entities that are creatures of darkness. All the dark clippers, all the snakes and scorpions, dragons and demons of the darkest world, how do they come about into existence? From these broken shards of blinding light. Go figure, go understand this. The darkest entities. And guess what? We're all given a little piece of that darkness. And that little piece of darkness is that narcissistic, animalistic, self-absorbed, arrogant beast that we all know all day, that just never is satisfied with all that you give it, all the salami you feed it, all the sushi you give it, and everything you give it, it's still not happy. Guess what? Because it's seeking that light. It's seeking that infinite light that it once knew, but it doesn't know because now it became so perverted, it became so perverse, so dis- so, tr- so dark. But in essence, it comes from that deep place. And when the soul can harness that animal beast and shine light upon it and break away its rust and its dust and its darkness and its dirt and uncover the diamond that's in it, then that soul opens up. That very dark beast becomes the most blinding light because you're elevating it back up to the world of Toyo where God's essence was revealed. And that's why as long as we're alive, we haven't yet finished 
purifying, cleansing, and elevating our animal consciousness. So we don't have the, we don't have the vehicle to see God himself. We don't have that, what's needed. But only, and only after we've lived our life in this world, only God knows how many days it takes to illuminate our darkness. And I'll tell you an interesting secret. The darker your animal soul, the more this disgusting you think you are, the more you look into the mirror and you think to yourself, wow, what an ugly human being I am. Look how nasty I am. Look how selfish I am. Look how despicable I am. The greater spiritual capacity you have, the higher your soul comes from. You're, I mean, it fell down so low. I'm talking about the godly soul. The lower it is, the deeper it comes from. So don't get frustrated with yourself, with ourselves. Recognize that dafka, that's the key to all of the greatest light. And the Pasuk says, Yamei shenaseinu bahem shivim shana. The years of our lives, in them, is 70 years. Let's hear these words. The days of our lives, bahem in them, is 70. What does he mean, bahem in them? Who's in them? The days of our life that we have three souls combined together, bohem with them. What are the, what's, what's with them? With them, with the three souls converged. The godly soul that's supposed to be the inspiration. The intellectual soul that is supposed to receive that inspiration and guide the animal soul. And finally, the animal soul that's really the most important being over here. Because he's the one with the keys to the, inf- to, to the essence of God. In them, it's 70 years because we have seven emotions that we have to rectify. Hashem should give everybody a long life. We can live much longer than that. But essentially, it's 70 years, which every 10 years officially is supposed to be a a rectification in another one of these sections of our animal soul that need to be fixed. And when we fix that, and that's why even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't see. Because during Moshe Rabbeinu's lifetime, he still hasn't completed his beer and rectification that he needed to do in his body. But as soon as a person leaves the world and they did what they were supposed to do in this meditation and this purification, and they manage, and everybody to some degree does this, then when our neshama leaves the world, we get to gaze at God Almighty Himself, not at that tiny little ray. And that's the meaning of vahafta. Then you will love God limitlessly, without an end, without an end. Because the love, even of the neshama in heaven, has an end, because its perception is with an end. But when it perceives without an end, its love is without an end. And next week in the Haftorah, in Parshas Bamidbar, it's an interesting Haftorah, it says, Vahaya mispar b'nei Yisrael, it will be the number of the Jews, it's talking about next week's Parshas, the Parsha of Counting. So the Pasuk says, Vahaya mispar, it will be the, the number of the Jewish people. Ashaloyu suffer that cannot be counted. So hold it, if you're saying it will be the number, anything you're giving a number means it has a certain measured number. And then you're saying Ashaloyu suffer, it can't be counted. So it's not within the realm of numbers, it can't be counted. So number or non-number? And the answer is like this. First, initially, we all are numbered because we're all fixed, we have a limitation. The Jewish people have a limited existence. But as a result of our work in the body, purifying and purifying, the Jewish, the number of the Jewish people 
rises beyond all numbers and beyond all calculation and beyond all accounting, to a place that has no numbers because it's a place that is infinite and boundless, it's God Almighty Himself. This comes only through our rectification of our animal soul. And that's the descent of the neshama in the body for that purpose. Now the problem is, good, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. But how do you get the body and the animal, the animal consciousness to even pay attention to your neshama? It is so apathetic. Sometimes everybody's got a different animal soul. But sometimes we'll feel it is so stuffed. What we call timtomalev, the heart is clogged. The animal soul doesn't want to budge. It doesn't want to move. It doesn't have any interest. You know, we can see it. You ever have a, people, you know, we're all, hopefully we try to inspire people, we try to invite people for Shabbos. Sometimes you have a coworker or a neighbor and no matter how many... They're so cold. No matter what you try to say, do, thing, they're just not interested. Religion doesn't speak to them. Spirituality, this whole, it just doesn't mean they're not interested. They got axed and bad. You're talking to the wall. And what happens if you're talking to, and you find within your own self, with ourselves, that we're talking to the wall? It's just not responding. This, this creature, especially as we said, the higher it is, the lower it, it translates into, and the more rigid it is. Not interested. So you can learn and study and given all the information it's still not letting go of its bone that it's chewing. It doesn't want to hear of anything else. And the Nishama, I was looking at the pictures and I the sad story. I mean, the, the story. I mean, it's a cuckoo world. It's not just a sad story. I mean, it was Baruch Hashem, a beautiful... I mean, it's sad that an animal got killed but it's crazy with this Meshuggah world today that they're, that they're protesting this gorilla being killed to save a, a boy. Like, as if, as if, like, when you're supposed to let the boy get killed? It's such a cuckoo world. Unbelievable what we're seeing today. You see that without Torah you have no direction. Manish, no direction. People are literally becoming insane. So, right? So, so I saw the picture of this little tiny boy and this big 500-pound gorilla, like looking right over it. In some way, that's the way it is. Our Neshama is a little boy. This beast is this big 600-pound beast. Now, now, <laughs> go talk to him. It doesn't want to. It doesn't want to respond. So the Torah is saying like this, I'm going to help you out over here. In order for you to become telechu, in order for you to be able to become a mahalach, a goer, and to move to the infinite heights as a result of the rectification that your godly soul is going to rectify the animal soul. And the animal soul will then take it on a journey to the essence of God through the very darkness of the animal soul. You will come to the essence of God. But how do you break, how do you commune, how do you break through and the Ebershter says, Bechukaisai. The answer is Bechukaisai. What's Bechukaisai? Bechukaisai means in my statues, but Bechukaisai also comes from the word Chakika. In Bechukaisai means you have to hollow out. Chokeik means to hollow. Like it says, Bemoisha Rabbeinu, Bemachaikeik, Bemeshanoisam, that they, they were the ones who dug the well, digging and creating a, a cavity, creating a space that's called a Chakika. In Bechukaisai means the Ebershter is saying, that the way to get your animal soul, the ego, is you have to hollow it out. Where do you see this idea? David HaMelech said about himself, My heart is hollow inside. And the Gemara says it means that he killed his, his Yetzirah. What does that mean, hollowing? Hollowing means that in the very space 
which was once filled with ego and self-centeredness, it becomes hollow from the ego. You carve out the ego, you pull out the I, and you replace it with Anoichi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. So you have to make a chakika, you have to dig into the animal consciousness and pull out its soul, its, its coarseness of stuckness, of being stuck in itself, and replace it with an awareness of Hashem. Yeah, but that itself is the question, how do you do that? So there are two things, bichukaisai means there are two tools, because chukaisai means to hollow out, but it says it in the plural, chukaisai is two, plural. There's two digging tools that can accomplish this idea. And how, what are the two methods? And the idea is, and it's, it's as follows. Number one, I'm going to do it very briefly. Number one is, it says in the Zohar an interesting thing. In the Zohar it says, Kadeskafia sitra achra, istalik alman. When the sitra achra, when the other side is subdued, God's glory rises over the whole world. Whoever learns a little Hasidus is familiar with that phrase. When the sitra achra, whenever you crush a temptation, whenever you say no, whenever a, a, dark, a dark person like a paro is defeated, God's glory rises. It's like a seesaw. When one side is up, the other side is down. So when that goes down, God's glory goes up. That's what it says in the Zohar. The chiddush, the novelty that I saw in the discourse that inspired me today, which I'm sharing with you now, is that it says, if it's that way, then it's also vice versa. It doesn't always have to start with crushing the unholy and thereby raising the holy. You can work the other way around. By raising holiness, by expanding holy consciousness, the unholy gets broken. And therefore what? So therefore it works like this. You feel yourself filled with ego. Don't go head on with your animal soul. Don't try to fight it head on and tell him no, 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 because he's a gorilla. He'll throw you up. He'll send you flying. He'll go ahead and do such a big sin, which sometimes we can know what happens, and you'll keep quiet then, you're not going to bother him anymore. I'm going to try to take him away from his enjoyment because he says, I'll teach you a lesson. You bother me, take me away from what I want. I'll take you into the dumpster. Right? Sometimes if we start up with our animal soul, you get a, what's called a, 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 what's the the word for it? Not a throwback. um, you You can get an unhealthy reaction. He'll fight back. Right? So, so, so instead of doing that, you have another option. Increase, don't fight him, just increase your concentration on godliness. Before we spoke about meditation in the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael, it's not enough just to meditate in the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. You're supposed to begin the medication. The sages say like this, if someone takes a long time in the word echad, you live a long life. So what does it mean to meditate? And I told you what echad, we spoke earlier what echad means. Concentrate on God is the life force of heaven and earth. But it's not saying the word, some people think it means echad. The problem is when you're going echad, you're not, there's no cha anymore. You're not saying echad. You're saying echad. So the sages say it's not in the aleph. You're supposed to, me, you're supposed to be marech and the dalit. But how do you do that? Like how do you get? But the, the deeper meaning Hasidus explains is the, the making a long echad means that you start the meditation of Shema in the beginning of davening. That means that, say the words of davening with Kavana. Start at the beginning of davening. Think, you know, imagine if we daven a little slower, and we say, when you get to the words, Malchus Cham Malchus Kol your kingship is the kingship of all worlds. 
And you don't just fly by that word. Stop a second. Let those words seep in. Your kingship is the kingship of all the world. And your dominion is in every generation. Think about your life. Think about the, the world around you. And think that God is now controlling everything. Let that thought linger in your mind. And then, continue in davening. How about you'll get to the Pasuk, Atahu Hashem you made the heaven. Imagine God making the heaven. And then think about the words, You are enlivening everything. See the breath coming from God's mouth, flowing into the worlds and enlivening everything. Look, as I think about it. Let those words sit. Think, 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 think. The more you expand that consciousness during davening, then when you get to Shema, it becomes very intense. So, when God's glory becomes very vivid and real in your reality, guess what? The ego gets automatically broken. The I will become diminished. So instead of having to counter that big gorilla, fess up and try to harness him, don't do that. Just focus somewhere else. Expand holiness. And when holiness becomes more real, ego and the unholy reality becomes less and less. So the, that's one chakika. That creates one hallowing. Daily activity of doing that creates one hallowing of the animal soul. We say it in davening also, in the Pasuk, Romemos kel bigroinam v'cherev pefiyos biyadam. Translate that in the Hasidic terminology that I just explained. Romemos kel. If you exalt God, bigroinam with your throat... That means that you're really into exalting God during davening. Then you have a double-edged sword, biyadam, in your hands. To what? To do vengeance in the nations. The nations, we don't mean nations. We mean the nations inside of us. To kill the klipa. To destroy that, that unholy reality, that unholy consciousness. By expanding holy consciousness, you diminish the unholy. That's one tool to create a breakage in the animal soul. Tool number two, and we'll conclude with this, tool number two is to do those mitzvahs that are precisely the mitzvahs you don't understand. People like doing mitzvahs that's kind of, that make sense to them. That is like, oh, that's a nice thing, I like kind, tzedakah, chesed, that's it. But certain mitzvahs I don't understand and I can't grasp. Chukim are the mitzvahs that are beyond reason, be super rational. We don't understand them. They're just God's will. And here's an amazing thing. What's the essence of our animalistic ego, animal soul? What's its essence? Its essence is it's got a big super eye, and it's not rational. It just says, I want, I want. It has, it has these addictions and these cravings, and it says, I want, doesn't need a reason. This is what I want, don't talk to me. It's a super I expressed with irrational desires and wants. That's the essence of man's animalistic darkest side. How do you diminish it? Guess what? When you bring God's eye, when you do a mitzvah that you don't understand, it's a pure expression of God's desire. See, the, the mitzvahs that make sense are, are expressions of God's mind, reason, logic. But the mitzvahs that are, don't make any sense are expressions of God's, are expressions of God's um, desire. And when God's desire comes and you implement God's desire in your life, 
it has this mysterious, incredible, mystical power. It pours like a, a powerful, holy chemical, you might want to say, that destroys the ego of the animal soul. It breaks it. It breaks through. That's what the sages say in Pirkei Avis. Batel ritzoncha mipnei ritzono. Nullify your will for his will. You have a stubborn will that doesn't want to budge? Apply the will of God. Apply his will. Daskid do the mitzvahs that you don't understand. Do those mitzvahs. And each time you do that, it puts powerful pressure on the animal soul to break its darkness. It's crushing the ego of the animal, but allowing the true seed that's inside. As we spoke earlier, it's true light to come out. And these are the two chakikais. Bechukaisai. One of his, as we said earlier, a chakika that comes as a result of meditation and prayer. Expanding godliness causes a carving in the animal soul, a hollowing in the animal soul. And the second one is the chakika of doing chukim mitzvahs, that too causes the animal soul to, be, to melt before God's light. And when that happens, in Bechu Kaisai, Telechu, you will go. And you will go and go and go into the infinite light of God. May we merit to see the final end of all this darkness, where all the darkness is transformed into real, powerful, godly, Revelation, where all the sparks of the world of Tayu are rectified and they all, instead of concealing, turn around and shine the most brilliant, magnificent light in the world. In the third base of Migdash, may we merit to see it very, very soon. Or rather, now.